0: Welcome to the Listmasters podcast. I'm your host, Trennan. And today I will be introducing a new segment to the podcast called Trennan's Corner. And this is basically where you just hear me speaking about uh, my lists of certain things. And today we're going to be speaking about my top 30 favorite B movies. Now, Tori, Sid, and Corey will be joining us again uh, to do another podcast uh, within a week or two. Uh, but this little segment um, I will be introducing, and we'll also have a couple of other segments where maybe it's just me and one or two other members of the List Masters from time to time as well. We all have different schedules, but we want to keep this podcast fresh for everyone to listen to uh, each week or at least each uh. E- at least every two weeks. So we'll go ahead and start today with my favorite, top 30 favorite, uh B movies. Now, B movies are something that I've always enjoyed um, from the time I was young up until uh you know my adult years. And I enjoy these movies for the qualities uh not that classic movies or big box office movies have, but for the sort of the gritty and realism of some of these films, as well as some of the almost fantastical elements of them as well. Um, A lot of the movies that I will be discussing today are movies made by such independent um, production companies as American International Pictures, uh, from the 50s to the 80s, I believe, and Crown International Pictures. There will be some that from, that is from uh, New World, um, United Artists, and there will be some that are from major uh, production companies as well, but were made uh, very cheaply or made as a B-movie. So we'll go ahead and get started at number 30. Number 30 is a film called Truck Turner. It's a 1974 film by American International Pictures. Uh, it has a lot of action in it. Uh, the sole artist Isaac Hayes actually stars in this as he takes the lead as one that's a hired bounty hunter. Um, there's a lot of great one-liners in this film. Uh, Hayes plays the cool, tough guy lead. Lots of humor, intentional and unintentional. Um, you have the 70s uh, sassy female characters as well. Tons of chases and guns. And, and of course, in every film like this, you have that funky 70s sort of chicka-chicka-boom soundtrack. Uh, the funky soundtrack. I love it. Um, it also has one of my favorite uh, actors... Uh, or I'm sorry, an actor from one of my favorite movies in it, The Shining. Uh, it also has Scatman Crothers, the guy that played Dick Halloran, the uh, cook in The Shining. He also stars in this film. But this is a really fun um, movie. Um, people refer to it um, as a black exploitation film made in the 70s. And, the, you know, there's a lot of those films. But to me, it's just a great action movie. Um and I think that uh, Isaac Hayes does a really good uh, performer, you know, has a really good performance in this one. Truck Turner in 1974 by AIP. So you might want to check that one out if you enjoy this type of film. Something like um, Shaft or uh, Superfly or some of those films as well. Okay, we're going to move on to number 29. And this is a 1971 film by New World. New World was a uh, production company, I believe, founded by Roger Corman after he left American International Pictures. And this movie is called The Big Dollhouse. Now, this is not your typical uh, 70s women in prison film. There was a lot of uh, women in prison films made in the 70s and 80s. Um, I guess I don't know what you would call that, women in prison exploitation. (laughs) But uh, this one takes place in the Philippines where the women are made to live and work under very inhumane conditions and humiliating torments. Um, A B-movie legend, Pam Greer, is is one of the main leads in this film. And, of course, the ladies, you know, they decide to make an escape plan, and it leads to a lot of chaos and action uh, with the wardens trying to keep them there. There's a lot of violence and um, things that go on throughout the entire film that that keeps you entertained. Um, quirky dialogue as well, um, if you've ever watched any of these women in prison films you'll you'll understand kinda what you're gonna get with this if you haven't seen it. But it's uh the Big Doll House, nineteen seventy one. Okay, next we're gonna move on to number twenty-eight. Now this is a nineteen sixty eight film by AIP uh American International Pictures and this is one of AIP's late sixties counterculture films. Um, they made a lot of these counterculture films in the late 60s to try to um, uh, entice young people to come and watch their films. A lot of these were shown in drive-ins. Um, and so they wanted to um, entice these young people to come watch the films. There was a, um AIP... <clears throat> was run by two gentlemen, one Sam Arkoff and the other one James Nicholson. And their uh, theory was that if you make a film that is geared toward the 18 or 19-year-old male, you will succeed. Um, Because they say that a younger person will watch what an older person will watch and a boy or a girl will watch what a boy will watch, but not vice versa. So they aimed... These films at the countercultural young people of the 60s. And this one is called Wild in the Streets, 1968. Um, it's about a rock star who supports a politician running for office who wants to lower the voting age. However, he doesn't want to lower it to the age that the rock star wants it lowered to, which is 15. <laughs> so he starts a sort of revolution. Um, and then it just, the plot just thickens and goes nuts. There's so much packed into this movie. It's a surprisingly well-made film, actually, that packs more into it than the pace can handle, but it's kind of fun and crazy. And, um, Richard Pryor is in this film, minus his world-famous mustache. This is him in his younger days. But it's a very entertaining film. Uh, it's a good film. I was very surprised. Uh, although it's you know it's corny and it's uh, just absolutely unrealistic in some parts, but uh, very enjoyable. Okay, we're going to move on to number twenty-seven. Now, this is a nineteen seventy-four film by Crown International Pictures. Crown International Pictures was. Uh, notorious for making sort of sleaze ball films um think of the films like porkies or something in the 80s but instead this you know this one is more um very uh cheaply made <laughs> very cheaply made um and very gritty uh film but it's a 1970s B movie and it stars the 70s B movie bombshell Angel Tompkins who starred in several B movies during that time. Uh, but she stars in uh, this coming of age film about a teacher, uh, who seduces an 18 year old and it's called the teacher. So, um, that's a very creative title, I suppose. But, um, uh, it's not just about the seduction of the teacher of the 18 year old, but it also has a crazy stalker chasing them. Uh, now, the funny thing is that the teenager or the 18 year old that uh, Angel Tompkins is seducing is a friend of, or is a son of one of her friends, and he is uh, Jay North, who actually played Dennis the Menace in the old TV shows. Um, and also the Crazy Stalker is a guy uh, that played in um, the 1976 movie Burnt Offerings as the chauffeur. He has a very creepy, pockmarked face with a very uh, broad grin. But in, he's not grinning too much in this one because he's angry. He's uh, come back as a Vietnam veteran and he's uh, he's a little bit loose in the head and he is uh in a jealous rage over uh Angel Tompkins affair with this uh young man. Uh this one has a lot of plot twists in it um as far as uh, the young man is framed but you know you just got you've got to watch the film to to find out it's it's a sort of a moral tale as well at the end to to show you what these sorts of Uh, relationships can lead to, Um, but it is a very entertaining film, albeit very cheaply made. So if you can get past the film quality uh, and some of the the stale acting, especially the goofy acting by Jay North, um, you can appreciate this film, The Teacher. Uh, Number 26 is a 1981 film by EO Productions called a Day of Judgment. Uh, This focuses on a corrupt, small town visited by a mysterious figure. Uh, The crooked townspeople start uh, uh, reaping what they have sown, literally, uh, one by one for their sins that they have committed. Um, You have a thief you have a philanderer, you have a crabby old woman who hates children. Uh, Actually, I just, I didn't understand that part because she just doesn't want children playing in her flower bed. What is so wrong about that? But anyway, she, you know, she commits a heinous act and has to reap um, what she has sown as well. Um, A minister has left the town and lo and behold, a new... uh, mysterious figure, uh, ends up as, um, you know, in that role, but I won't spoil it completely as to the ending and what happens. It's a very creepy, creepy early eighties film, but it's made like it, you know, it's made like one of the seventies, very atmospheric, um, very cheap, not a lot of, no, no real stars in this one. Nobody that I, that I really knew of, but it's just a very eerie, eerie movie. Um, and it also has, I suppose, a moral to the story. Um, it's, almost, it's almost like a scary version of um, A Christmas Carol or something. You have a bunch of Scrooges <laughs> in this one, but they're all committing different sins and they all have to uh, have to live up to the Day of Judgment. Okay, uh, you'll ignore my sniffle there. I've got a little bit of a sinus issue. Um, Moving in at number 25 is an American international film um, made by Cinemagic, 1962, called Journey to the Seventh Planet. This is a sci-fi release. Uh, You know these sci-fi films in the 50s and 60s were a bit um, cheap I guess, until 2000 space, 2001 Space Odyssey came along, directed by Stanley Kubrick, which was an immaculately made uh, film. But this one is not. It is a very cheap movie. It is a B-movie. Um, but it's basically about a crew that is sent to explore the planet Uranus. And what they find is more than what they thought it would be. It's not some frozen wilderness But it is home to like this weird, mysterious force that seems to read their desires and gives them their desires. It's almost like it creates a hallucination for these people, but it's not real. And the force there, the monster, so to speak, threatens their lives Um it's quite a good movie to be such a cheaply made film and, and have like, you know, it of course has the dorky looking monsters in it and things of that nature. But it's really, a an intelligently thought out, uh, plot, the execution of it, can, you know, much could be le- uh, said about that, but the plot was, uh, surprisingly good. And, uh, I really enjoyed the film and that's why it comes in at number 25. Okay, and next we're going to go to number 24, and this is called Best Friends, and uh, it's a 1975 film by Crown International, uh, who I mentioned earlier about making sort of sleazy films, but... This is about two childhood friends and their girlfriends. And they take a road trip together and things get increasingly tense because one of the friends doesn't want the in, the adventure to end. Um, he wants things to continue and he only wants it to be him and his buddy. Uh, it can be very irrational in some parts, but it's a crown film, so you know what to expect. Uh, it starts a bit slow, and it's almost like this goofy adventure film. But then things get crazy, uh, and crazier as it goes. I, I was not a big fan of the ending. I thought it made no sense. But it's almost as if um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to spoil it if if you want to watch it. But it's a uh, it's a strange film about two friends who um, they're they're pretty close and one wants to be you know, he he wants to go back and relive these moments of um, when he and his friend were just by themselves and having fun and you know, he will bring this up in the film hey, remember when we did this? Remember when we did that? And he's very jealous of the friend um, having a fiancé wanting to get married and you know, he's, he's like telling him, oh you don't want to do that, you know things of that nature, but it's it, it leads to some, uh, some devastating consequences in the end, but that's uh, The Best Friends, number 24. Okay, and number 23 is a 1966 cult classic by AIP called Wild Angels, the precursor to Easy Rider, actually, or directed by Roger Corman. But this is a lot more violent and controversial than Easy Rider. I mean, some of the scenes that happened in this film, I, I just couldn't believe happened in 1966. So this was, you know, this is an independent film. It did kind of shock me. It's it's now developed a reputation as being a cult classic. But uh, I just, I was kind of amazed at how they got away with some of the things that they did uh, because this is before the Summer of Love. You know, this is before the whole... uh 1968 riots and things like that. I mean, this is 1966, so um, very controversial film starring Peter Fonda, Nancy Sinatra, the daughter of Frank Sinatra, and Bruce Dern. And this is about a rowdy biker gang uh, that loves to get high and loves to terrorize the town. And they leave no one, uh, no one... Uh, can escape their uh, chaos. I mean, even the churches, you know, uh, uh, townspeople, you know, things of that nature. It's just, it's very chaotic. Uh, There is a moment where Peter Fonda gives a dialogue to a minister in a church about what they want, and they want freedom, man, but freedom to do whatever they want to anyone else, thus sort of uh dismissing anyone else's freedom so it's a very strange film uh but it comes in at number 23. number 22 is a 1962 release by american international called panic in the year zero and this stars ray milan and frankie avalon but it's not a beach movie uh, this is about nuclear war or at least a nuclear bomb that uh, explodes and the aftermath of living in it. Uh, it's, it's, so it's it's sort of like a tale of survival in a new world of chaos with no civilization whatsoever. Um, uh, you know, and these people are trying to survive. This man and his family is trying to survive after this uh, terrible event has occurred. Uh, a lot of movies were made like this later on, you know, in the 60s and and 70s and even in the 80s with movies like The Day After and Threads and things of that nature. But this one is um, one of the first uh, nuclear uh, war aftermath survival stories. And it's really a good film, um, an enjoyable film. It's not as uh, blatant or violent as some of the later films that were shown, but it is quite an um, quite an entertaining movie uh, in in my opinion, and that's why it comes in at number twenty two. Panic in the Year Zero. Okay, we're going to move on to number twenty one now, and this is another AIP Biker film made in nineteen sixty eight called Angels from Hell a Vietnam vet comes home and he is going to start a new biker gang because he was a former biker at one time. Uh, and, of course, they go to war with the local authorities there. Um, it's a gritty movie, uh, very cheaply made uh the fight scenes kind of look corny at times, but I mean a lot of those movies like that, especially those biker films in the sixties, had those corny fight scenes but you know it's goofy it's fun um to watch and and laugh at but yeah, but also be entertained by uh It's full of action obviously uh a lot of memorable scenes that stick out for me between the outlaws and the cops. There's one where they're like outside this shed or house or whatever. And they've got the outlaws lined up, you know, uh, it looks like they're at a firing squad or something, but you know, a lot of chaos ensues between the cops and the, uh, and the bikers here on this one. But it's, uh, you know, it's just one of those sixties biker films that I really enjoy. Uh, I kind of like that sort of, um, feel to a movie. It's, it, you know, it gives you a good release. You come home, you sit down, you watch one of these crazy B films. And the Biker ones always are, you know, it's always a good time to watch watch one of these. They don't hardly ever make these kind of films anymore. Moving on to number 20 is Across 110th Street. Now there's a song by Bobby w- Womack, a, um, a soul singer called 110th street. Uh, it is featured in the film, Jackie Brown made by, uh, Quentin Tarantino. What an incredible song. Uh, but this movie was released in 1972 by United Artists. And this is about a couple of petty crooks who steal from the mafia and ignite a gang war. Um, uh, who, you know, one of them ends up killing two members of the Italian mob and three black gangsters. And it's up to two cops to find them before the mafia finds them. Um, so it's like this Triangle Chase film. There's a lot of drama and action. And this is top-notch, really. I mean, it's there's some great acting in it. Um, really cool characters, and you've got... Um, you know it's fast paced it's uh it's got characters in it that you can relate to um that you're rooting for and it's really a good good film and that's what makes my top 20 across 110th street number 19 is a 1973 American international film called Coffee and this is the debut of the B-movie legend Pam Greer, or at least one, you know, where she's featured. Um, this is about uh, a nurse. Pam is a nurse who becomes a vigilante after her sister is murdered by um, drug dealers or dope pushers, as she refers to one of them before she exacts her revenge. It's heavy on funky music. Uh, it's got a lot of violence in it. Uh, It's got some seduction scenes uh, in it. Uh, Of course, Pam Greer is such a great actress in these movies. Um, She's a tough girl. You don't want to mess with her in these movies. She she was one of the first, uh, you know, tough female leads. You see a lot of that, that today in films where they're trying to put women in as tough characters or whatever. But Pam Greer was the real deal, and she was um, one of the pioneers of this. Uh, This is really the the movie that put her on the map. Um, But, yeah, there's some very memorable scenes in this one um, where she takes on these drug guys, these dope pushers, and she absolutely takes care of business in this. So you need to see this one for sure. Coffee. And number 18 is a cult classic 1971 film by MGM, believe it or not. Yeah, a uh, major studio. But it is a cheaply made film uh, called Shaft. You've probably heard of that. Uh, great soundtrack of this one. Richard Roundtree is a detective or a uh, private investigator actually hired by a mob boss to find his kidnapped daughter, the mob boss's kidnapped daughter, not not uh, the de- detectives. <laughs> so uh, he faces more than one obstacle on his hunt. Believe me, it's uh, not just one group that he faces. It's several uh, different uh, enemies or obstacles, as I say. But he's bad to the bone. I mean, this guy is like Samuel L. Jackson before Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, as previously mentioned has incredible, uh, soundtrack. I believe Isaac Hayes did the soundtrack. Uh, this guy is bad to the bone. I mean, he is, he is quite a very cool cat and you'll enjoy this one. If you like a good crime film with lots of action and lots of good dialogue and lots of good music for sure. Shaft. Coming in at number 17 is a film made in 1972 by Corman's New World Productions. And it is much like the previously mentioned Big Dollhouse. This one's called The Big Bird Cage. And it is, again, about uh, women being held as prisoners in some weird sort of jungle area with a giant wicker cage. But it's nothing like the 73 film The Wicker Man. or anything of that nature. It's not on that level. But this one stars Pam Greer again and a very, very sultry uh, actress named Anitra Ford. Beautiful woman. Uh, So both Pam and Anitra are in this one. Very beautiful women. Um, uh, Anitra is sort of thrown in. She's, She's not really a tough gal, so to speak. She's sort of a socialite that gets thrown into this group. So there's a lot of uh, interplay between her and some of the tougher women that have been there for a while. And Pam Greer, of course, is her herself uh, the tough girl in this one as well. But she's uh, more open to um, or becomes more open to Anitra Ford's character in this. And they work together to escape, obviously. Uh, this one I liked better than Big Dollhouse because it has much more entertaining characters overall. Um, I'm talking about the women. I'm talking about the wardens. I'm talking about, you know, all the characters in this one seem to be more well-rounded than Big Doll uh, Big Dollhouse. And so this one, to me, is a better feature than that one. Uh, and it also has a much stronger storyline as well. So Big Birdcage. Okay, coming in at number 16 is a very bizarre 1975 Crown International picture called Pick Up. It's about two hippie girls being picked up by a guy who's supposed to deliver an RV, but they end up in the swamp somewhere, I believe in the Everglades, um, when there is a lot of weird things that happen for sure. Um... Very bizarre. It's almost occultic in certain ways. Um, a lot of there's, um, of course, a gang of rednecks that try to sexually assault the girl. Uh, I believe they do sexually assault her. Uh, I haven't seen it in a, in a while, but uh, I had to go back and re- revisit it sometime. But it's very memorable for sure. It has a very strange. Uh, scenes in it, uh, some very graphic sexual scenes in it, but also uh, you have, like, these weird out-of-nowhere hallucinatory scenes of a clown in the middle of a field. Very creepy. I mean, this was totally unexpected. So this movie is, like, begins as it's going to be some Uh, sexploitation film that Crown made, some sleaze fest or whatever, but it really turns into like this acid trip of a film, Uh, almost like The Trip by uh, Roger Corman, but nowhere near as good, in my opinion, as The Trip. But this one is very bizarre and quite entertaining. If you can get through the slow parts uh, and you appreciate sort of an avant-garde feel to a movie, this one is going to take you to some weird places for sure. Pick up. Coming in at number 15 is The Town That Dreaded Sundown, a 1976 AIP release based on a true story about a killer in Texarkana in the 1940s. In Texarkana in the 1940s, there was a Uh, killer that was on the loose in the town and they referred to him as the phantom killer he was never caught there were several uh, suspects and one main suspect but they never were able to charge anyone for the murders Um, and this movie is based on that tale Uh, it's made like a documentary actually and it has some very goofy humor in it. Uh there's a guy named Sparkplug in it and he's kind of a just this goofy deputy type, like a Barney Fife type I guess. Um, but it, you know, it, it, it's a it's that humor that kind of downplays some of the brazen violence and intensity of this film because it can get very violent and intense. And you go, you know, you'll go up the roller coaster and then down the roller coaster, so to speak. So it's just this moment of Lots of tension to the release of tension with some of the goofy humor. Some people didn't like the goofy humor. They thought it it took away from the film or whatever. But I appreciated it on its own merits uh, for what it offered to the film. It is a Charles B. Pierce film. He was a director who made a lot of these, or not a lot, but a few of these, like, Southern Gothic films, like uh, The Legend of Boggy Creek and this one, of course, The Town that Dreaded Sundown, and one that we'll mention later on. But it's a, it's an entertaining film. If you can get past the goofy humor parts and if you uh, can, you know, appreciate the sort of documentary, mockumentary, um uh, stylization of the, of the film, I believe you'll enjoy it. Town that dreaded sundown. Not the, there was a remake of this. This is not the remake. This is the original 1976 uh, film. Coming in at number 14 is a, another American international, uh, sixties biker film. I told you guys, I really enjoy these kind of movies. Uh, Even though they can get monotonous at times, there's usually a change in plot. Uh, This one was released in 1969 called Cycle Savages. And this stars Bruce Dern um, as the leader of a crazed, brutal gang of bikers. Uh, And these bikers decide to torment this artist who made the mistake of sketching them. Um, There's some pretty... um, heavy scenes in this one. Uh, Bruce Dern can definitely play a bad guy, and uh, he's a little strange in this, but he is not to be messed with, and he don't care who he hurts. He will hurt you. He will kill you in two seconds, and this one is, again, it, it has that sort of cheesy, corny quality to it at times, but it's a very good Film. It's a good story, and I mean, I enjoy it. I can watch it, uh, you know, over and over. I really enjoy it. It sounds silly, but it's full of good performances and some good intensity, and and again, some sort of goofy moments. But if you can appreciate uh, just a a well-made story, then you'll appreciate *Cycle Savages*. Coming in at number thirteen is a 1968 American International hippie counterculture film starring Jack Nicholson. This one's called Psych Out, and this stars Jack Nicholson with a ponytail uh, as a rock singer in a band. So imagine that. Uh, Susan Strasberg is a, a is a deaf woman who returns or turns. Um, to, um, I'm sorry, runs into Jack and company on search for her estranged brother, uh, played by Bruce Stern. And her brother has turned into some sort of mad artist slash guru type of person, um, called the seeker. And I don't think this has anything to do with the, the who song, but who knows? Get it? Who knows? (laughs) my attempt at uh, some corny humor, I guess, this morning. Um, But yeah, this one has an excellent psychedelic soundtrack, but The Who's not featured in it. It's two bands called Strawberry Alarm Clock and The Seeds. And I have actually, uh, my old band performed a show with The Seeds. Sky Saxon was the lead singer, very very gentle man, Uh, very kind soul. He passed away a few years later but after that performance but um he he and I struck up a friendship until the day he passed and I also have gotten to speak a little bit with George Bennell from uh, Strawberry Alarm Clock albeit only online but yeah great soundtrack uh very interesting film um it's sort of a moral tale i guess about drugs one of those deals but um it has uh dean stockwell in it as this very bizarre character that lives in a box um uh, you, if you you just need to see it to believe it um he's a very strange cat as well who has kind of dropped out of society and he doesn't appreciate jack and company especially jack nicholson's character stony is his name yeah uh, doesn't appreciate uh, Stoney sort of selling out to the man and, you know, for money and fame. But yeah, Jack and uh, Jack's character, Stoney and Susan Strasberg's character um, develop a sort of Uh, 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 relationship and that turns twists and turns and just a lot of things going on a lot of drama there's a crazy fight scene in a junkyard between these greasers and the hippies and it's just hippies on acid uh, of all things so you know it's it's quite entertaining for sure very uh, corny film but uh, I really really enjoy it especially the soundtrack coming in at number 12 is Superfly 1972, Warner Columbia release. Yeah, big, big studio. Uh, It's just about a cocaine dealer, ironically named Priest, who has a terrible haircut. And uh, this, you know, this guy wants to stop doing what he's doing and live a normal life. But the mob he works with does not want that to happen. Um, it's full of drugs and violence obviously. Um, but it made a lot of money. It's extremely entertaining. Uh, he faces a lot of, um, obstacles and a lot goes on in this film. You just really need to see it. But one of the best things about this film is the soundtrack by legendary Curtis Mayfield. This is one of the best soundtracks I believe of any film. Um, and it's a good film, too, as well. Um, but you can listen to the soundtrack on its own. But you really need to check this one out. Um, it's, it's a cult classic as well. You've probably heard of it if you haven't seen it. But you, if you haven't seen it, you definitely need to check it out. Superfly. Okay, coming in at number 11 is a very unique 1968 American International release about a female gang leader female biker gang leader. Yeah. It's called the mini skirt mob. <laughs> and as crazy as the name is, it's, it's truly an interesting film. Uh, anyways, this female gang leader takes, uh, takes out a jealous revenge plot against her ex and his new girlfriend. So she does not like that. He's got a new girlfriend, extremely jealous. So she tracks him down This is shot out in the desert like a western, so it does have that sort of western feel to it, um, which I really enjoy. You know, it's full of drama, it's like explosions, and you've got betrayal, and, you know, distrust, and, you know, a lot of tension, a lot of biker action, um, I love it. It's 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 just a very entertaining film. Um, and as silly as the title of the film is, um, I thought the film was highly, highly fun. And uh, I really enjoy it. That's why it comes in at number 11. I just couldn't get it out of my head. And I'm like, why do I like this movie so much? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. Just scenes stick out so much on this one. But it comes in at number 11. Now we're into the top 10 So this one I saw as a child. It scared me just, you know, I had dreams about this movie. But it's a 1961 classic American international film uh, directed by Roger Corman. It's an adaption of an Edgar Allan Poe story, and it's called Pit and the Pendulum. Uh, This one stars Vincent Price, who is a legendary horror actor, Um as Nicholas Medina and Barbara Steele, who is a 60s and 70s scream queen, as his unfaithful deceased ex-wife. But as the plot thickens, we find out a lot more than we anticipated about Barbara and about Nicholas. So uh, there's some really good acting. You know, I thought uh, Vincent Price acted a, a bit weird and cheesy on House of Usher, but he he just, I mean, he really uh, does what he needs to do in this one. Incredible acting. Barbara Steele as well. Uh, very creepy, very spooky, very brutal, uh, as you'll find out later if you watch this. Uh, this is one of the probably creepiest and most brutal of the Poe adaptions made by Roger Corman, but you definitely need to check this out uh, on a dark and stormy night for sure, and the pendulum. Moving on to number nine, this is called Chrome and Hot Leather. Uh, this is a 1971 American international film about a Green Beret returning home from Vietnam to confront a biker gang. Yep. Another biker film, who killed his fiance. Yeah, I would want to exact revenge on them as well if I was him, especially if I was a Green Bray and had all that uh that knowledge and skill. Um, he decides to form his own group and take on the violent gang. And man, this is wildly entertaining. And there it's such a western. It is such a western, but it's like Instead of horses, you got bikes and, you know, instead of guns, you got explosives as well. And just all kinds of weird shenanigans going on. And this guy's face at times, I mean, he makes some of the most contorted face facial expressions. But he's also got sort of this stone face as well. But, yeah, he and the bikers go, go to war out in the desert. One, love those kind of films. Uh, this one was highly entertaining, really good movie. Um, um, I think it's an underrated film. I know it's a B movie, but I mean, I really enjoyed it a lot. So, and this was one that sticks out in my head a lot too. Chrome and Hot Leather. Okay, number eight is called Deranged, and this is a 1974 American International film based on a loosely based on serial murderer Ed Gein. Uh, same as Texas Chainsaw and Psycho. Uh, but this was actually made the same year as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But it's a lot more of a personal film and it's a lot, you know, it's much tamer than Texas Chainsaw. But it's about a, gr- a creepy farmer slash mama's boy slash grave robber. <laughs> Who turns to murder? Uh, it stars Robert's Blossom, and if you've ever if you've never seen Robert's Blossom, you need to look him up right now. This guy is the strangest, creepiest, weirdest looking guy. I mean, he was perfect for this role uh, as the Ed Gein type, or as the I think his name is Ezra Cobb in this. You know, his matronly, uh, zealot mother taught him the evils of women, and you know. Not just loose women, not just, you know, prostitutes, but, I mean, all women are bad, except for her, obviously. But, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of got the psycho elements in it uh, mixed with Texas Chainsaw. There's one scene that really reminds me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre where they're sitting around the table with some corpses and he introduces his new um We'll call her his girlfriend, but I don't think she really wants to be his girlfriend. But you'll, this one's a good entertaining film. The guy's a bit, uh, I don't know, He's, it's almost like he has some sort of deficiency or something mentally, and he plays it off as, oh, man, he's just very creepy. But you, you really need to see this one if you like. Just very bizarre, 70s, atmospheric, creepy films, Deranged. Coming in at number seven is Foxy Brown. This is a 1974 cult classic about a woman who turns vigilante and disguising herself this time as a prostitute. It's got Pam Greer as the star in it. Yeah, she's back to take on a drug gang who killed her boyfriend. Now I enjoyed this one more than Coffee. Coffee's very legendary, but I really enjoyed this one. There's a lot of she she uh, changes a lot of outfits in this one. And it's just very interesting the way she looks, the way she changes her appearance. Uh, She's a little bit more bad to the bone, but she's also a little bit more vulnerable in this one as well. Um, But yeah, it's it's a legendary film. I think this is kind of maybe where Tarantino got the Jackie Brown was from Foxy Brown. And the same lady plays both, Pam Greer. Uh, But this one has a lot of entertaining scenes in it as well where she is face-to-face with these drug dealers and she just takes care of business. Uh, Nothing's going to stop her no matter what they do to her. She's coming back to get revenge. And that's Foxy Brown. Number six is a trip with the teacher or just trip with the teacher. Uh, No, it's not about taking acid with your teacher. It is a 1975 Crown picture about a teacher who takes a small group of female students on a field trip. Sounds cool enough, right? Sounds lame enough. <laughs> but uh, it, they get stranded, and they are later held hostage and terrorized by three bikers, who are, um, who the leader um, is a, a a guy that's very bizarre look. And I think he, his name, Zalman, I can't think of his last name, but he went on to direct the Red Shoe Diaries. Yeah, that 1980s or 1990s, uh, very, I guess, erotic type of show. But uh, yeah, Zalman King, I believe was his name. But he uh, he's the leader of the biker group in this one, and he is just this insane pervert with, like, some sort of tick and a bizarre, almost sort of cartoonish giggle. I can't even, you know, it's just, <laughs> you know, just just weird sort of bizarre giggle. But don't make fun of him because he'll kill you in a heartbeat. I mean, there's a scene in here that he – uh, again, I don't want to spoil it, but he takes this one girl and what how he deals with her is, I would never want to experience that. Let's put it that way. And this is a 1975 film. Again, it's shot out in the desert. I love those type of films. But this is a hostage situation. Um, there are some very violent scenes, very misogynistic, I suppose. Uh, say, Well, a lot of that happened in the 70s, though. Um, but yeah, very brutal. This guy is, um, and there's a twist at the end, so you got to keep watching it, but it it, it it entertained me, uh, throughout the whole film. I really enjoyed it. I've watched it. I've downloaded it. Um, and as, as bad as the film is, as cheesy as it is, as corny as it is, it is just absolutely Sucked me in, and I had to continue to watch it now. It's become one of my favorite P-movies coming in at number six, Trip, with the teacher. Okay, we're in the top five now. And we're going to come in at number five with Gas. That's Gas. g a s s s s s s A 1970 film made by AIP. It was Roger Corman's last. This is his, I don't know if it's a dystopian or utopian film, but um, it's an incredibly unbelievable plot about a gas that is released and kills every person over 25. But um, the the tribalism and the gangs... Uh, that are formed in this makes it really entertaining, if not just off the wall. The music is entertaining as well. I think it's got Country Joe and the Fish doing some of the music. It seems almost plotless and impromptu at times, but it's full of major, well, people that would go on to become major stars or major movie stars, major television stars, and it has a lot of memorable moments in it as well and to me, I didn't like this film when I first watched it. I thought it was just completely ridiculous and pointless. It absolutely had no effect on me whatsoever, but I went back and watched it again, and then I watched it again, you know, and it's one of those deals where it just kind of grows on you, and then you kind of read about it, you kind of understand what they're trying to do here and how it, you know, how it comes across. And you're like, oh yeah, well, okay. And then finally you just learn to love it. It's just very, I don't know. It's a very bizarre film. A lot of people don't like it, but I do. But yeah, it's got like a Bud Court in it. It's got, uh, he went on to, I think Harold Maud, uh, Talia Shire, who is Rocky's wife, you know, Adrian, you know, that's her. Um, Cindy Williams, who went on to play in um, Laverne and Shirley as Shirley. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on here. And, again, like I said, Country Joe McDonald does the uh, does the soundtrack to it. Uh, very, very avant-garde, very bizarre film, but I just love it. It's just one of my favorites, especially to watch late at night. Gas. Number four is a Bucket of blood. Now this is not some slasher film as as you would think. It's AIP's nineteen fifty nine Beatnik Crime Story. Uh, with the infamous or famous Dick Miller. If you ever watched the uh, documentary on Dick Miller, you need to watch that. I think it's on Netflix. Um it may be on Amazon. I don't know. But it's really cool about this guy Dick Miller who started in several B films in the uh you know AIP for AIP. And other um, production companies for B-movies. He is the protagonist here. He's this sort of loser uh, busboy. He ends up becoming famous for his artistic skill of creating lifelike statues. (laughs) But we later find out why they are so realistic. Um, It's full of goofy humor. Uh, I mean, the guy's just a sad sack until he becomes a little famous. Uh, It's got some... Little mystery behind the scenes to it. Not much to the audience, but definitely to the uh, other players in the game, so to speak. Uh, It also co stars a very beautiful Barbara Morris, who he is completely head over heels for, and he just wants to take her out. He wants her to be his gal but we find out uh, what happens later on this is a simple story it's very chilling and humorous and that they can bring all that together is very fantastic to me this one is a cult classic and for a reason it it you know checks all the boxes of a good good film good story bucket of blood number 3 Okay, this is the most profitable film in American international pictures history. This was released in 1979, and it is called the Amityville Horror. It's based on a true story of the Lutz family, uh, or so-called true story, of George Kathleen Lutz, who bought a house in Amityville, Long Island, where an entire family was killed because the son claimed voices told him to do it. Um, This film spawned a god-awful amount of sequels, some okay, some terrible, and a uh, Hollywood remake in 2005 starring... um, Ryan Reynolds, and Melissa George, but this is the one to see. James Brolin, Margot Kidder, Rod Steiger, uh, in the Amityville Horror, and you will believe in the Amityville Horror. Uh, that is, it is such a creepy, atmospheric movie, um, you know, it's not one of these horror films like you're gonna to see today with lots of special effects and action every time you turn around. It's is a slow burn. But it's such a good ghost story, such a good haunted house, creepy story. Um, it spawned, like I said, several sequels. My favorite being the second one, Amityville Two. But this one is the this is the standard right here. This is the pioneer. This is the one that started it all. Uh, Amityville Horror, 1979. you got to check it out if you haven't seen it. I'm sure you probably have, but if you've seen the remake and you haven't seen this one, shame on you. This is the one to see. Scared me to death as a child. I had so many nightmares about this house, even up into adulthood, about this house. And it's just, the house itself is the main character. And that's the Amityville Horror. Okay, Uh, moving on, we have number two, and that is another Charles B. Pierce film. He's the guy that uh, I'd spoken about who had directed some of the Southern Gothic films. I think he was the director of Legend of Boggy Creek. He was also the director of the previously mentioned Town That Dreaded Sundown on my list. And this was a film he made, I think it was his last film he directed, released by American International in 1979, called The Evictors. This is about a couple who buy an old Louisiana house only to find out that everyone else who had lived there had uh, died in mysterious circumstances. And they discover they're being set up as the next victims. You have the haunted... Eyes of actress Jessica Harper in this one. She was uh, in Suspiria and uh, she was in a couple of other. She was like a Scream Queen, a couple of other, I uh, think uh, Phantom of the Paradise or something like that. Uh, very haunted eyes she has, very uh, very waif like Jessica Harper. You also had Michael Parker as her husband and Vic Morrow as a real estate agent. Very uh, brash sort of, you know, standoffish real estate agent, but he is, there's something, you know, there's something weird going on in that town. They befriend, uh, uh, a woman who is a, a, in a wheelchair, an elderly woman in a wheelchair. And, uh, she tells them some stories about the house and also, um, sort of a drifter guy that sells fruit, you know, and does odd jobs. He comes by and he tells them, you know, a story about the house. And so she's real creeped out. And then some things start happening. Uh, She starts seeing a figure who uh, decides he's going to terrorize her, especially when her husband goes off to work and he works in a different town altogether. So it's a very intense film. Um, highly underrated film, a very creepy music. Uh, The atmosphere in it is just, keeps you on the edge of your seat. To me, this is a very good 70s scary thriller of a movie. Uh, It does have several um, deaths in it. Some of these deaths are just absolutely brutal, Uh, but they're not like Gross. They're not grotesque scenes or anything of that nature, but you can just tell the brutality of the murders. Um, It is, it's one of those films that gave me nightmares as a kid. When I first saw it, and it just stuck with me ever since, I love to watch it. I love the beginning of it when it's kind of got this sepia tone where they're going back in time. And every time they do like a flashback to one of the murders or one of the scenes where people die, they go into this sepia tone. The music is just insanely good, uh, the way they've got it for this film. Absolutely one of my favorite films of all time, much less a B-movie. But that's called The Evictors, coming in at number two. And my favorite B-movie of all time is a cult classic 1967 American International Pictures release called The Trip. It's about a man facing a divorce who decides to take LSD. Okay, simple enough. Uh, It stars Peter Fonda, Susan Strasberg, Dennis Hopper, And it was written by Jack Nicholson and directed by Roger Corman. There's also a very standout uh, female character in this who was in several of the beach films of the 60s with Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. And her name is Sally Saxe. And I'm actually friends with Sally. Um, We've had several conversations and she was gracious enough to sign a dvd copy of this film for me. Um very lovely lady, wonderful artist, wonderful human being, Sally Saxey. But this one um again, it's about um Peter Fonda who is a advertising director and he's going through a, a sort of a midlife crisis I suppose and he decides to take uh, LSD and his guide is Bruce Dern, who actually plays a very uh, laid-back character in this film and does a good job. Um, It's full of bizarre scenes, strange open dialogue. uh, It has amazing colors, incredible cinematography, shot on location in some of the most uh, elaborate places. I mean, you've got the psychedelic temple where they are all gathered around, where he receives, um, um, you know, I think he takes the drug, not doesn't take the drug there. He gets, uh, Bruce Stern gets it or whatever. Uh, he Dennis Hopper is there. I think it's supposed to be his pad, so to speak, but it's a very, very huge place. Um, and it was actually a real place that they eventually, you know, demolished. Uh, later on, and then this uh, the house where he um, uh, takes the LSD is a house in uh on Mulholland not Mulholland Drive um that at the top of Kirkwood in uh in L A, but it is um. It's got an indoor outdoor pool like where you swim from the inside to the outside and back, very. A psychedelic um um sort of layout in the place. It's like his deck the decor is very psychedelic. It's just lots of colors, lots of weird stuff going on. He takes the acid. He has these sort of visions of himself running in the desert away from like these two figures on black horses. Um he has this vision of a witch and a, a sort of a troll, and he has this vision of making love to his wife, making love to a different person. It all mixes together. It's like a kaleidoscope. He has this vision of being captured on this carousel by this weird, strange guy who is played by Dennis Hopper, who's sitting like in a judge, uh, a judge's. You know, sitting in judgment of him, he's sort of strapped to this sort of thing that looks like an electric chair. Uh, Just all kinds of crazy stuff. There's a scene in there where the beautiful Barbara Morris is in there and he is kind of hitting on her in a laundromat. (laughs) You just got to watch that scene. But there's just so many bizarre things that happen in this film. It's just, I just think about it a lot. It just, like these certain scenes pop into my head. I've watched this movie over and over and over. I really enjoyed The soundtrack. I didn't like it first, but I really enjoy it now. It's by Electric Flag. Um, but, yeah, there's some trippy songs in it. There's, you know, there's some things like at the the very ending of it where there's like a collage of things happening. There's like this sort of circus, cartoony, jazzy thing I didn't too much care for, but that's pretty much it. I mean, the rest of the film is just something that sticks into my psyche, And I really enjoy it. It is probably my second or third favorite film of all time. But it is my number one favorite B-movie, The Trip. So those are my top 30 favorite B-movies. And I hope you enjoyed this. Um, If you do, you can download it, share it, like us, like our page. We are updating our website now. We are now on Spotify and we are on Amazon Music. We are on iHeart. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor. Uh, We are on Listen Notes. We are on uh, Podbean. And pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts, we are now available. Uh, You can uh, also go to our Facebook page, The List Masters Podcast. And again, this was just a special segment of Trannan's Corner where I speak solely on some of my favorites and make a list. Join us next time where we will have special guests or we will also have, uh, it'll just be me, Sid, Tori, and Corey, again, examining either music or film or whatever tickles our fancy, so to speak. So thank you for listening to The List Masters. Have a good day.